McShane Bible Study Day, was it 216, 217, I think? Um, we're in Judges 18 and 19, and we're kind of in an in-between period where there's no actual judge. Uh, Samson's gone, and we have a couple little stories about just things that are going on, of terrible things happening in the land. You know, the, the Judges tells us that the people, there's no king in the land, and the people went their own way, right? They did what was right in their own eyes. And the thing that struck out to me, because there's uh, 18 has this one story, and 19 is the beginning of another story, and they're both completely different, although both involving the Danites. Um, Not the Danites, but the Levite. Uh, didn't both have Danites? Oh, no, you're right. There was a Levite. Yeah, you're right. Okay, so, anyways, this people, after we talked about that second story, I kind of forget what the first story was. The, yeah, this is continuation from yesterday, right? Um, anyways, there's this um, there's this man who had the uh, ephod, and the, he'd made these gods, these idols, and he had this Levite, and the people of Dan were looking for uh, their own land. They ran into him. They found a good land. They, they were going to go conquer it. And they decided they wanted this Levite for themselves. So they went and kind of took all the, uh, the idols. And the priest said, are you, what are you doing? He said, don't you want to be a priest to a whole tribe, not just one man? So he was happy. The, uh, the guy Micah didn't like it, but he couldn't handle them because they were 600 men. And so... Wait, there was only 600 men in the tribe of Dan at that time? Well, no, it was surely bigger than that, but I, apparently six, only 600 of them were doing the fighting. Um, but yeah, it's a pretty small army compared to what we usually saw these tribes putting together. Um, and it's kind of strange. It says they had no, no land. I don't know if that's just a section of the Danites that had no land. I don't know, it, because we did see in Joshua that they got some land. There's more questions and answers for me for that. But um, Micah started the story yesterday by stealing from his mother. Mm-hmm. And, in and the then end, his mother rewarded him. And in the end, all his stuff got stolen, right? So what you sow, you reap, right? When we go to the next chapter, this woman, it's horrible what happened to her. I'm not saying it's right or good, but she cheated on her husband, right? Or her, I mean, she was a concubine, so that word typically to me doesn't mean wife. Although it's kind of shocking if she wasn't his wife. I don't know. How did she cheat on her husband? It said, uh, and his concubine was unfaithful to him. It means she went off with some other man. Or it might mean, it could just mean that she was unfaithful by going back to her father's house when she should be. She, If she was, you know, married to him now, she should stay with him. Unless she's not actually married, and then I don't, wouldn't think there's any rules. Anyways, it says she's unfaithful to him. So, in the end, she... I mean, she she gets devastated, right? It's it's interesting. There there's a law of sowing and reaping going on. It's 
it's like when God sets before us blessing or curse. He's saying, look, if you come my way, you will live in a life of blessing. But if you go and live according to the ways of the world in your own flesh, you will be ruled by the ruler of this world, and he hates you. And there will be devastating consequences for that. And you kind of see that in, in these people's lives. And then next we're in Acts 22 and 23. The thing that most stood out to me, because this is mostly a story, right? First it's uh, Paul making his defense to the people as they're rioting and wanting to kill him, and he gets arrested. And he tells his whole story again. He's like, look, I was like you. I was a ringleader of people like you. And then the Lord showed up to me and transformed me. And they were all fine with hearing his story and sort of entranced right up until he said, it's not all about you, right? Because they, they were, and they had seen themselves as God's people. But when they saw that God was turning away, <clears throat> turning away and, and, and saying, I'm, I'm going to bring all people to me, and they felt, well, we, we don't even know if this is true yet. They were upset because it wasn't all about them anymore. 22 says, this is 22, 22. Up to this word, they listened to him. Then they raised their voices and said, away with such a fellow from the earth, for he should not be allowed to live. So then they're very upset because it wasn't all about them. Um, and, but and the, the, the other thing that... Just, well, I think this is where I was going. There's just lots of things happening in Paul's life. But in the midst of it, the Lord speaks to him and says, don't worry about all these things. I am with you and I'm going to bring you to Rome. You see that? In other words, I have a purpose. So don't get, don't get swirled around and away by all these things happening. I will take care of the details and I will make sure you're exactly where I need you to be. So trust in me. See that? That's the message we should take away. So then we're in Jeremiah 32 and 33. Go ahead and ask your question. Why does his cousin want to buy his field? Yeah, so Jeremiah is locked up in jail. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar is attacking Jerusalem, sieging Jerusalem, right? Uh, the king's desperate because Jeremiah is saying t terrible prophecies against the king and against uh, the city and the people that they're going to be destroyed and hauled off to, to Babylon. And here... He, uh, God says to Jeremiah, your cousin's going to come to sell you his field and it's your right to take it and so pay him for it. And so the first answer to your question is, because he does show up exactly as God said, and the first answer is, well, God is doing this to teach a lesson because the whole rest of this chapter and all the next chapter are all about um, what God's doing bigger picture right? So he's using this small thing as a picture so that they want, will understand what God is doing in the grand scheme of things. And even this, what they did in the grand scheme of things, is a picture for us of the even bigger end times thing of what God is doing. Mm -hmm. Because we'll talk about, we'll see Babylon is introduced, you see Babylon in Revelation. Revelation is about end times, right? Um. Babylon as a city doesn't exist anymore, mm -hmm. right? But th these are all pictures of what God is doing in the end time. And so it's a picture within a picture, right? And so, but why did Jeremiah's uh, cousin think he was selling his field? Well, probably he saw, <laughs> uh, you know, 
<laughs> times don't look good here. If I can get some money for my field, I'd rather have the money because I need to get out of here. Probably. We're just guessing. Mm-hmm. Um, but the bigger reason is God put it in his heart to do this. Now, did he know that? Probably not. He's probably just doing what seemed best to him at the time. But, but God was orchestrating the minds and hearts of people to bring about his will. You see mm-hmm. that? Okay, so if we, I'm going to read verse 15. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, houses and fields and vineyards shall again be bought in this land. So he's doing this to to tell Jeremiah, because Jeremiah's concerned too. He's like, I've been prophesying destruction on everything because you've told me to, but now you want me to buy a field? What is this about? He says, yeah, because although I'm going to destroy this structure, my promises, and he's the next chapter thirty three is really about this. My promise to David still stands. My prom, my covenant promise to my people still stands, but these people have turned away from me. So I will destroy everything they were doing, and I will raise up a remnant people who do represent me. Twenty eight says, therefore, thus says the Lord: Behold, I am giving this city into the hands of the Chaldeans and into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and he shall capture it. Because these have been a people of God, but they don't represent my ways. They've gone their own ways. 33, they have turned to me their back and not their face. And though I have taught them persistently, they have not listened to receive instruction. They set up their abominations in the house that is called by my name to defile it. So this is my people don't represent me. Therefore, since mankind is meant to represent me as kings and priests to all of creation to teach of my goodness and my wisdom and my truth. And yet they just represent the same as the ways of the world. They just put a sticker on it that says we represent God. Well, it's confusing to the world. My wisdom is not shown. My glory is not known. And therefore, I must do away with this thing. So starting from 36 says, Now therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, concerning the city of which you say, it is given into the hand of the king of Babylon by sword, by famine, and by pestilence. Behold, I will gather them from all the countries to which I drove them in my anger and my wrath and in great indignation. I will bring them back to this place and I will make them dwell in safety and they shall be my people and I will be their God. I will give them one heart and one way that they may fear me forever for their own good and the good of their children after them. I will make with them an everlasting covenant that I will not turn away from doing good to them and I will put the fear of me in their hearts that they may not turn from me. I will rejoice in doing them good and I will plant them in this land in faithfulness with all my heart and all my soul. For thus says the Lord, just as I have brought all this great disaster upon this people, so I will bring upon them all the good that I promised them. This is very clearly not fulfilled when the people do come out of Babylon into the promised land, right? He's talking about something greater. He's talking about a people of God fully entering the true promised land, which is the kingdom of God, and it being an everlasting people. You see that? Mm-hmm. And we finish in Luke 1 and 2. And uh, you know that <laughs> we're going through these twice in one year, even when I'm doing it, I think at the beginning of the year, I felt like I had just done it. <laughs> So just trying to make new points of uh, the Gospels when we're reading the Gospels over and over again. Uh, Luke one fifteen says, For he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. 
So that that's very similar to what we saw with Samson, right? He's it, it appears he's got a similar Nazarite vow. It doesn't mention not cutting the hair, but a similar kind of thing, right? So we just read that, so that kind of should point out that's just something God had established in the law of Moses, and we see that it was told to Samson's parents, and it's told to John's parents. Uh, 17, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. So that's, I think we just talked about this the other day, but this is part of the very last chapter of the Old Testament in Malachi when he's talking about, you know, the coming of the Lord. And of course, the Lord came in a kind of a first act 2,000 years ago, right? But we also know that there's a last day's fulfillment of all God's promises. And so we see this mentioned here with Elijah, that the way is being prepared for the coming of God within his people. And then... I'm, I, there's obviously, you know, Luke's got long chapters. I'm not going to go through most of the stories. Uh, verse 80, and the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance. So he wasn't going about trying to build this huge following for all of his years. He was in the wilderness learning from the Lord, being trained up by the Lord, right? Mm-hmm. So when we see again in Revelation 12, and the woman in the wilderness and the people, you know, we see... It's it's not the way mankind would think it. It's not building this huge following, right? Mm-hmm. It's being where the Lord says to be and, and being trained up the way the Lord desires to train him up, right? Luke 2. Uh, and obviously he would later become very famous, right? There's still, you know, there's still people in the world that follow after John. <laughs> they don't accept Jesus. They're followers of John the Baptist. Isn't that wild? <laughs> I just found out about that like a couple of years ago. <laughs> it's like, wow, that's amazing. But, uh, so he was a, you know, he was a famous man. Um, and then, so 32, what is this? This is uh, one of the prophecies. A light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. I'm not, I think I meant to un-highlight that. And it was still highlighted from last time through. Verse 49. And he said to them, why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? So here's 12-year-old Jesus. And even then, he says, I'm about my father's business. I'm obedient to the father and what I see him doing. That's what my life is for. That's what all of our lives are for. Simply obeying the Father, doing what he says to do. Make sense? Mm -hmm. 51. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. Again, um, the religious spirit would have us think, well, he must have just been like this great mighty king even as a little kid, right? Because, you know, he's... You know, God's in him, right? But no, that's not the whole point. The point is that God would transform a man, a regular man, into being a perfectly fulfilled son of God. And Jesus underwent that. And so what would a perfectly fulfilled son of God do? Verse son is obey his parents, right? Even though his parents 
did not have the seed of God, right? They were of the seed of Adam. He had the seed of God put into the womb of Mary, right? But he followed everything perfectly as a man, submitted himself to God first and foremost, but that includes submitting himself to his parents, right? Mm-hmm. Um, all right, well, that's all I have. you have anything else? Mm-hmm. No. All right. Well, God, God bless you. God bless you.